Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Good morning, good morning, good morning, church. Vision Church. Wow, they were just so, you were enraptured by the announcements so much that you could barely break away. One one thing I want to add to that is Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl weekend, is going to be a fish fry for the guys, big guys and little guys. And then there's going to be uh, Joe Jackson, who's going to be speaking at that on Saturday at 6 o'clock, is then going to be with us Sunday morning for Super Bowl Sunday morning, former defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings. You had to know it. And the New York Jets. So for those of you that like the Jets, the key here is that he's one of our Assembly of God ministers out of the Arizona district, and he's proof that there's life before, during, and after football, and that abundant life is found in Jesus, the Christ of God. And so it's wonderful to run across people who have been in the professional field, whatever that may be, but more than, than that, what is more important to them is a personal, vibrant relationship. Jesus, the Christ of God. Aren't you glad you can know Him? Aren't you glad He knows you by name? Aren't you glad that you have a future set and a hope in eternity, not to stand before God in shame or fear, but to stand before God pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but His blood has washed me white as snow and that you can stand in utter and complete righteousness before the holy God of the universe and hear him say come well done come into my presence and we'll never have to say goodbye and it doesn't get any better than that the world is preparing for a Super Bowl Sunday this is better than that the world has been through World Series this is better than that The world is engaged or about to be engaged in the Olympics. This is better than a gold medal before the eyes of the whole world. This is to persevere and press through and to have our faith proven fine as gold and stand in the presence of Jesus, the Christ of God, and to be safe forever in eternity. And that I'll give the Lord a hand clap of praise and thanks for that. And the great news is that we can live a lifestyle now that reflects that culture of heaven, that reflects the heavenly kingdom, that we can live on the earth, but not live as people on the earth. We can live different than that. We can march to the beat of a different drum. We can have a different tempo to our lives. We dance a different dance. We walk a different walk because our lifestyle is more than the lifestyle of the rich and famous. It's the lifestyle of the blood-bought and redeemed. Hallelujah. And we're looking at that lifestyle. I want to remind you again that lifestyle is the interest, opinions, behaviors, and behavioral orientations of an individual group or culture. So an individual can choose a lifestyle. Very often, though, how many of you know that it becomes a group? No matter how much you think you want to fly solo, it catches on and there's a group and an entire culture or what's called a subculture springs up because of it. Well, I'm here to stand unashamed to talk about the lifestyle of heaven and establishing the lifestyle of the kingdom of heaven and the privilege we have to adopt, accept that lifestyle and live it out powerfully in the darkness. 
Jesus has called us to be light of the world. Lights of the world. Lights in the world. And he has called us to be the salt of the earth. And that calls us to a lifestyle. Now in Psalm chapter 11, we're going to look at the 11th Psalm, the Psalm of David. One of the reasons that people love the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, is because David, a real person, lived a real life and he shares some real issues and he's very real and transparent about those, even his sins. And he also is a man after God's heart. In all of that, it's just amazing to me, it's astounding to me, that we don't think of David and call him David the adulterer or David the murderer. We call him David, the king of Israel, the sweet psalmist, the man after God's own heart. Isn't that amazing that we know that story out of the book of Samuel and the book of Chronicles? We know that history, but we've also read that 51st Psalm which says, Create in me a clean heart and renew and restore a right spirit within me. We know that 23rd Psalm that says, The Lord, He's my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And we find comfort in that as we gather around somebody and memorialize their life as a family member, as we often stand in funerals. And I often preach from that 23rd Psalm. Why? It connects in reality view with people. It really touches with them. Now the 11th Psalm asks this question. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, as you look around, can you hear some foundations being destroyed? Can you see some foundations being destroyed? Some basic bedrock principles, ideas, ideals that are more than just cultural norms, but things which have been derived from Scripture, where people have at least aligned themselves with some models in Scripture, have adopted them into their culture. It's not enough, by the way, to be a cultural Christian in the sense of just adopting to certain Christian philosophies and live them out in a contemporary world in a materialistic way. No, it's it's more than that. We need to have a vibrant relationship with Christ and walk out the principles of the kingdom of heaven and make the difference be a light in the darkness. But we can still tell that there are some foundations at least under attack and many foundations that are being destroyed. Our foundation of grammar is being destroyed. Now there's great confusion over pronouns. There's great confusion over articles. There's great confusion over nouns. We, when we begin to set categories for how we understand the world and people and this basic bipolar idea that there's man and woman. Genesis chapter 1, Jesus reiterates that in like Mark 8 and, and in Matthew 5 and 6. He goes back and he says, from the beginning it was not so because in the beginning God made them male and female. And the man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man put together. And he takes these basic foundational principles and lays them out. And he's talking to an audience that all said, Amen. Right. Yes. They weren't the most deeply spiritual people, but they would look at that. And for 5,000 years, 
many of these foundations of cultures and principles from around the globe are now called into question. Have we become so wise in our own eyes that we have dared to question even these basic things? We've heard somebody say it all depends on what the definition of is is. And so now we find ourselves in 2022 as if it wasn't bad enough to go through the shaking of 2019 and 2020 and 2021, two solid years, but we're seeing that many foundations have been shaken. Many houses of cards have been shaken. They've been exposed. They have tumbled down. And we find that some of the most basic things of life are being attacked. I don't know about you, but I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't like that. But it's not new. It's not new to 2022. This is something that has come and gone, ebbed and flowed, risen to a high height and then receded. And uh, we can look back through history and see that. And we can find in the 11th Psalm that David says, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Have you ever felt frustrated? What can I do? What should I do? What do I do next? This is happening. What do I need to do about it? Well, I think David has something to tell us here. Because this is not new. This is something that recurs. His son Solomon would say, there's nothing new under the sun. What is going on now has been. And as we look back into Scripture, into the book of Genesis, we discover that since the garden, the foundations of righteousness have been under assault. They were under assault when Satan tempted Adam and Eve. And how many of you know they cracked? They crumbled and they fell. They then were under assault as Adam gave rise to Seth and on down the line and we encounter Enoch who walked 365 years with God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and after 365 years he was taken up, snatched away. We have the first recorded rapture in scripture in about the fifth chapter of the book of Genesis when Enoch is taken out at 365 years of age. He was a righteous man. He was a man of faith. His, his story is recorded also in the book of Hebrews in the, in the halls of heroes of faith when it says that he was not for God took him. He was gone. How many of you want to say, Lord, just beam me up? When you feel the foundations being shaken, when you feel the shaking going on, a whole lot of shaking going on, when you see even the foundational things that are under threat and attack, that's, I don't know about you, but that's when I invoke some of my Star Trek language. Beam me up, Scotty. Beam me up, Scotty. Even, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. As things come to the end, that's something that should be building in our heart as believers. Maranatha, come quickly. Lord Jesus. We see it being shaken. We see it being torn down. This cannot go on forever. There's going to be a point at which Jesus is going to break through. Deal with the Antichrist who attacks those, the spirit of Antichrist which attacks those foundations. And I've got great news for you. He's going to set the foundations right and he's going to build a wonderful thousand year earthly kingdom. There's great hope in that, isn't there? But we have to understand what do we do until then? Until then. Well, one song said, until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. 
So how do we do that? How do we do that? Since the garden, Adam and Enoch and Noah, did Noah understand the shaking of the foundations? Absolutely. Did Noah see all the foundations of people's lives being overturned and broken down in his day? Absolutely. Evil had spread across in the days of Jared, and now in the days of Noah, a preacher of righteousness. He builds an ark. Because one of the things we can do is do like Noah and build an ark. When the foundations are being shaken and broken and assaulted, it's time to build an ark. It's time to look for an ark. It's time to look for an escape. Now, some people say, you Christians, you're all a bunch of escapists. Your answer should be absolutely. When things get really tough and things are really falling apart, he's promised he's going to hoover us out of here. He's promised he's going to take us out because there's going to be a releasing of that son of perdition, that son of evil. But until then, we have an ark we can run into. His name is Jesus. We can hide him and he is the ark. He's the one that we can run to in the weary land. Enoch, Noah experienced, Abraham experienced this, the destruction of these foundations. And then Isaac and then Jacob and then his son Judah and then a son of Judah by the name of David. Have you noticed that today we're in a culture war and there's a lot of wars involving a lot of lifestyles we are in a lifestyle war we're at war look at your neighbor and say we're at war this is not a time of peace this is a time of war but it's not a time to panic don't look at your neighbor and go we're at war it's not a time to panic we're in a lifestyle war living for jesus jesus said be of good cheer i've overcome the world What did Jesus tell us about the world system? It will hate you because it hated me. It will seek to destroy you because it sought to destroy me. He saw the spirit of Antichrist at work in the world and has been at work in the world. And what did he do? He offered a means of being salt and light. He offered an alternate lifestyle. How many of you like that? Christianity should be standing out very clear today as the alternate lifestyle. A people who march to a different beat. People who are headed a different direction. People who have a different purpose in life. David lived this out physically. And he did it with physical warfare. He fought battles for the lifestyle of God's people. I'm not advocating because that we do that because what the Apostle Paul say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't fight with carnal weapons. We don't do that. We do a spiritual warfare. We do a righteous warfare, but we do a warfare. Amen? We need we need to get engaged and live it out today and realize something. I'm in a spiritual warfare. So as we go into this, realize, eyes wide open, not shut, not like an ostrich with your head in the sand. Realize it's a war. It's a war that we're fighting. We have a very real enemy, but we have a confirmation from the Lord. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the commander of heaven's armies, and he said, I will be with you, even to the very end of the age. What does that tell us? That if he can ride with some disciples through a storm and bring them through, he can take you and me through our battles and bring us through our spiritual warfare. Now, in Psalm 11, verses 4 through 7, we want to pick up a couple more points then. Here's what David declares. 
When the foundations are being threatened, what will the righteous do? When the foundations are under attack, what will the righteous do? When the foundations are being destroyed, thrown down, broken asunder, what can the righteous do? He goes on to say this. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. So what do we need to do? We need to adjust our perspective. If we're not careful, we have our head too much in this game. If we're not, some people want to say this, you're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Let me, let me, let me challenge you. You need to be heavenly minded in order to become any earthly good. You need to be mindful of heaven first before you can have influence and effect upon the earth. You must be focused and looking towards heaven in order to have the influence you need to have because you need resources, you need power, you need strength, you need perspective. A perspective adjustment. So what is David saying? He's saying lifestyle is a result of vision. We have a vision problem. Without a vision, people perish. Without a vision, people perish. What a vision does, it captivates our viewing, our eyes. How many of you know we're creatures of looking? We drive down the freeway, we see a billboard to the right, and says some people wonder if billboard advertising works. It just did. Then I argue with it. Well, I noticed you, but I didn't buy anything. Because I'll argue it doesn't work till I actually go and get your product. And all you did is told me about a billboard and so far I haven't bought one I haven't even rented space on one I'm not saying I never will or be wrong to do that but what did it do caught my eye it catches my eye and you know that right now on social media they're constantly working to capture your eye they're they're hearing they're seeing what you search they're hearing what you say at times taking that data and then mining it and then taking that and then streaming stuff to you that you'll be interested in. So that when you look at it, you'll find something you'll be prone to buy. Then they go to the advertisers and say, we're going to charge you a penny a click. If somebody clicks on your banner, you pay us a penny. And we'll pick it up as it happens. Well, here's what they're doing. They're trying to get your attention. So they're trying to motivate your eyes. Look here, look here. And in, in a split second of time... They can get your attention. So there's a lot of things that have our attention here. You notice that? Advertising, colors, pictures, people, all kinds of things. We're going to say, hey, well, look here. Look here in the physical realm. But what does David say? Let's not look here. Let's look up. Because when we adjust our vision, everything else follows behind it. Now, when I was learning how to mow... At first, I thought this was a great thing to do, and I later said, why in the world did I really feel motivated to do this? Some people really enjoy mowing, and when I was a kid, I mowed about an acre and a half of visible grass, and then I had to mow with a mower around 200 trees that were planted in a bout of my parents' insanity. So I would get on the wheel horse tractor and... Uh, and I would ride. I, I was at, I was at the ta- Daytona 500. I was, I was doing anything but mowing. Now, when I first started mowing, here's what I would do: I would look at the very front of the tractor, 
and try to keep it straight with what I was doing. Then I would finish a course of mowing and dad would say, now look behind you. Looked like that fellow my grandpa called Charlie Weaver had mowed it. He was a drunk man notorious in the neighborhood. Then my dad taught me something. He said, never look right in front. Look down the row. Look down at the end where you're going. And then I learned that the same worked in driving. You don't look just over the hood ornament, although it is fun to pretend that it's a crosshairs and you're taking out those people in traffic. But you want to look down the road where you're going to be going. And when you change your vision, you lift up your eyes and look out, then you can mow a straight row. Then you can drive without weaving all over the road because you've got your eye out there into the future, into you're lifting up your eyes. And over and over and over in Scripture, what do we hear? Lift up your eyes. You're looking down. The problem is you're looking at yourself. You're navel-gazing. You're looking inward. And what we need to be doing is lift up your eyes, lift up your head, and behold, your redemption draws nigh. We need to look up. So David says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. Now, what does this tell us? That both mercy... What's, what's the temple about? The temple is about intercession. The temple is about prayer. The temple is about asking God. The temple is about coming before God without uh, fear and trembling, but boldly with confidence for help in the time of need. The temple is about, more than anything else, mercy. We come for mercy in our time of need. We come and avail ourselves of God's mercy. We have a priest, a faithful high priest, who has already suffered for us, and he has encountered every sin, every temptation, everything that is common to man, yet he's not failed. Isn't he an awesome high priest? David caught a sight of something. He had a revelation. He was caused to look up beyond his lifestyle and the lifestyle of the people of Israel and, and the, above the lifestyle of the Philistines and above the lifestyle of the Egyptians and above the lifestyle of the Assyrians. And he was, he was drawn through his spirit to lift up his eyes and to understand that there is a place, a temple of mercy. And at the same time that he has a temple of mercy, he has a heavenly throne. And what do you do from a throne? You judge. The king sits upon his throne to judge. The elders sat on thrones in the ancient gates of the city, and they judged matters that were brought before them. They, defi- they decided who was right, who was wrong, who was in the wrong, who was going to pay, who was right, who, was, uh, who would be set free. So let me give you a little clue here. You want mercy rather than judgment. Amen? That's what we do when we talk about communion. That's what Pastor Steve was leading us with earlier today. It is this idea that we have mercy. We have this rich mercy that God is in his temple and that we come because of the great sacrifice of Christ, our lamb. We come and we have both mercy and judgment. 
And the scripture tells us many times, David even tells us, both mercy and judgment are with him. He should be feared. Hello? Sometimes we're living in a time when one of the reasons that our lifestyle and our foundations are being attacked is because in some regard the church has let loose of the idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We'd rather sell God as a Santa. We'd rather sell God as somebody who is only merciful and only loving. There have been books that have been written in this generation. Love wins, basically stipulating that nobody's lost, that hell is not real and there is no judgment. But that we all go into the sweet by and by regardless of how we live. No, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. This is not the foundational teaching of Scripture. He says both mercy and judgment are with him. He should be feared. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is a sense of trembling in us that says, you know what, I don't want to stand before God for judgment. I want to stand before God for mercy. And he has made a way through Jesus the Christ of God. The, the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And all we have to do is trust Him, confide in Him, lean on Him, accept Him, and our mercy is then speedily placed upon us. And then He transforms and changes our life so that we can stand up righteous before the judgment of God. Would you put your hands together and thank Him? David understood this very well. Mercy and judgment are with him. He should be feared. Talk about a deep respect. We can repair some foundations in our life if we just get some fear back. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowing how to walk before the Lord wisely. Let's go on. The next part. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine him or examine them. When I was a little kid, I had heard that preached a lot in our church. And so we had a big picture window in the front of our house. Mom and Dad would be gone somewhere. I'd be there by myself or it would be just me and my sister. And I'd go sit. I'd be sitting in the living room thinking about that. And I found myself not wanting to look out the picture window. Because I was maybe there would be this big eye saying, I've got my eye on you. I see what you're doing. We can't fool God. He knows what we're thinking. He knows our thought before we form it. David understood that. He proclaims that in the 139th Psalm. And he says it here. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. To observe, to notice, and examine, to look intently into great detail. This is amazing. But God can know the thought of every person on the earth simultaneously, not a problem. Not a sweat, not a problem. He's God. He's the uncreated creator. We're the creation, so we sit there and say, I don't even know what my thoughts are. How do you do that, Lord? He can do that, and a couple billion people do not bother him. He can put one hand behind his back. And just to make it fair, and still... He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. What does this tell us? Consider your audience more fully. God is watching. That'll change your lifestyle. 
that'll reestablish some foundations. Let's get back to the foundation that God is seated on a throne. God is working in his temple. He's offering mercy, but judgment is coming if we don't accept mercy. And he is watching along with others. What does the Apostle Paul tell us? That there is a group of people that have gone before us, and what are they doing? They're watching. He tells us that there are angels, fallen and unfallen. And what are they doing? They're watching us. Now, when you start seeing this, then you say, be careful, little eyes, where you look. Be careful, little hands, what you touch and what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Because God is watching you. And angels fallen and unfallen are watching you. The enemy of your soul is watching you. There are people in your family that are watching you. There are people in your church that are watching you. And then you begin to realize something. I'm not living just for myself. And I'm certainly not living before just myself. Consider your audience. But consider the audience of one. God is watching what does this tell us to do be authentic do you know people can tell when somebody's authentic have you ever been ripped off by something that's not authentic maybe one of you ladies bought a purse it wasn't authentic or how about this you buy cologne paying the gucci price and getting not the gucci substance then you realize that the letter was one letter different or the icon was just a little bit different because there's a whole market of black market knockoffs out there. And you, and here's how you can tell a good perfume. You spray it on, it's expensive, but one squirt stays with you all day. How can you tell cheap perfume? It's really cheap, but you might as well put it on an automatic spritzer, dump it into one of those fans you can put around your neck and spray it on you all day long because you are, you're going to lose smell good really quick. But they change one letter. It looks so convincing. And sometimes they pay you, the they, they offer it for the Gucci price or just a little bit lower. And it's nothing like you expected. People are tired of being ripped off. Tired. They're tired of this. They're marketed to all the time. But do you know how refreshing it is when you're simply who you are in your lifestyle before God? You're living that lifestyle to please God. And they get to witness that. They get to come along and check you out and say, there are so many people that are fake, but you're not. There are so many people who are inauthentic, but you are what you see is what you get. Simply be authentic. Acting is not enough. You can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool God. God is looking for authenticity. He is looking for real in the heart. And it all starts in the heart. It starts with who we are. And through the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the visitation of the Holy Spirit, guess what? We can receive the word of God with faith, and he can transform and change us, and he can have us live a life that's worth examining. And when our Father examines us, it puts a big smile on his face. The angels break out in song, and they praise his name. The devil gets a grimace on his face. He shuffles away like the Grinch, played by Jim Carrey. 
we are living a life worth examination because we're living a life that has been founded in him as being transformed by him is glorifying him and honoring him and god is examining him let's live the life worth examination he goes on to say this the lord examines the righteous but the wicked those who love violence he hates with a passion wow some of us will get really uncomfortable right there won't we those who love violence he hates with a passion they are devoted to their sin and they are become enemies of god now god is not paranoid he's broken hearted because people are choosing a way that will destroy their lives their lifestyle will result in death there's a way that seems right to a man but the end thereof is death of course god is passionate why wouldn't he be he's heartbroken he's moved deeply by that which destroys us as well as that which exalts us and lifts us up he has all the goods he has everything we need for have a lifestyle that's authentic and reflects upon his glory but he is passionate and and that there are those who are his enemies let me just give you a hint right here you don't want to walk on the passionate anger side of god the great news is you can walk on the pleasing god side every day you can walk in his favor passion is a great energy for a lifestyle have you ever noticed that people will say just do what you're passionate about i've heard the, the i've read the biographies i've heard the stories of, of people who have made it in radio broadcasting or sports or business and ministry you name the field of endeavor and here's what they always can be boiled down to say if you will find what you're passionate about do that with all your heart the doors will open where you can do that it will begin to generate income for you and if if a man finds what he loves to do he'll never have to work a day in his life you ever heard that it's about your passions it's about that passion we need to have a passionate energy in our lifestyle amen not a sourpuss deadpan empty cemetery like christian religious position we need to have an authentic lifestyle that zings that hums that has energy that has vibrancy that has life passion's a great energy for a lifestyle god loves righteousness does he passionately love it yes we often hear about the anger the judgment and and the things that happen on the negative passion side but let's not forget the positive passion side god loves righteousness when people align with him and walk for him in his purpose for their life it results in right living and god loves righteousness and hates wickedness why would anybody want to walk in a lifestyle that god has said he hates there's lifestyle that god hates there are foundations that are being destroyed that god hates that otherwise we wouldn't have the coming of the antichrist and the the transformation of the whole world under his judgment and then christ in control and in charge god loves righteousness and he hates wickedness aren't you glad god is slow with his judgment have you ever gotten frustrated when the foundations are being destroyed and saying 
God, where's your judgment? It's about time for you to kind of come and, and put all this back into place. It's about time for you to come and act. And what does Peter say? He says, I know, I know. It seems like God is slow concerning his promises, but he's long-suffering towards us, not wanting any to perish, because no one can stand up under his passion against sin. But everyone can be embraced in his passion for righteousness. Hallelujah. And then finally this. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. And scorching wind will be their lot. You know they're not going to be able to stand up under that. We see the portents of that in the book of Revelation. As we see exactly that. Fiery coals, burning sulfur, and scorching wind touching the physical earth because of the sin and the iniquity and the wickedness upon it. That will be their lot. David understood that. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Those that are not upright, they will see his judgment. But those that are upright, they will see his face. All paths are not equal. You know, we live in a time now that's talking about equity, diversity, inclusion, and equity. It's across the schools. It's in governments. It's sweeping the globe. There are people that want to do this. We want to choose our lifestyle, and we want to choose the outcome for our lifestyle. Problem. Yes, you can choose your lifestyle. But you can't choose the results of it. Now, how many of you would like to have your cake and eat it too? I would. I'm constantly looking for that gig. What can I do and choose the good positive results at the end of it? I told you before about jumping off of a building with an umbrella. I chose to float to the ground. But the consequences of my decisions meant that I plunged to the ground at 32 feet per second per second acceleration due to gravity. And praise God, it was only eight and a half feet that I jumped. Because stinging ankles are a whole lot different than broken ankles. And thank God I didn't go jump off the barn with the same umbrella. Hallelujah. That's one thing I'm going to thank him for the rest of my life. Thank you for getting that stupid idea out of my head. All paths are not equal. You have an opportunity to choose, but you can't choose the end. We all want to write the story where everybody lives happily ever after. But that just isn't truth. If you live on that foundation, it's broken, it's shattered, and it's coming apart. It won't work. All paths are not equal. Freedom to choose does not extend to consequences. Because God has determined the consequences. And here's what he has said. Choose life. Choose right. Choose righteousness. Choose uprightness. That's the choice that's out before us, is that we can get back to the foundations of our lifestyle and get back to the reality of the foundations that are under attack and realize that my, there is no other foundation laid than that which can be laid, which is Christ Jesus. 
He is the cornerstone of our lifestyle. He is the rock and foundation of our lifestyle. And let every one of us be careful how we build our lifestyle upon that. Whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, because the fire of that day will test it. We're in that day, folks. Can you feel it? Can you feel the shaking? A whole lot of shaking still going on. Foundation still rumbling under the attack of the seismic activity across the globe. Things are happening. We're moving into the final days of the last days. And so here's some questions we can ask ourselves as the musicians come. And we're going to have a time of worship. And it'll be a great time of introspection. A time of looking up and refocusing our priorities with him. Are my eyes looking up as we feel this shaking going on? Check it. Is it causing our head to hang low for us to become despaired and our eyes to be downcast? Or are we continuing to focus our eyes and our gaze upon him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb? Are my eyes looking up? Am I properly fearing God? Do I have the right fear of God going on in my life? Not a terror, not a paranoia, but a fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. Am I acting authentic? Am I acting authentic? Or am I acting or authentic? Let me clarify that. Am I I just acting? Am I playing church? Am I playing Christianity? Am I playing religious? Or am I authentically being a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I a God kind of passionate? Is there just a fire within me that burns for righteousness and uprightness? Or is it just, give or take, politicization, here a little, there a little? Or am I living to see his face or to face judgment? What road does my lifestyle have me on? And I've got great news for you. He allows change of road. He allows and calls us to repentance. And he alone can give to us the power of transformation for us to turn it around and to get the foundation strong and shored up and right so that no matter how things are shaken, we will stand because we will stand in him and we'll give him the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go into a time of worship as we are. One of those, surely one of those questions has resonated with you, and this is an opportunity to get that right with the Lord. Hallelujah. Is everybody standing to their feet? Let's get back to the foundations. Let's look up. Let's remember the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And live a vibrant, authentic lifestyle in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. People who are looking for hope and help. Their foundations are being shaken. They're feeling the shaking too. And if they can see somebody who's in the battle and is authentic, they'll come to you. They'll come to that light. They'll respond to that salt. And they can be rescued and can be changed. Isn't that why Jesus came? To seek and to save that which is lost. So Lord, we just lift our hearts to you. And I just pray grace over us as this body of Vision Church. Lord, let us go out and go into this world without fear. We're not of the world. We don't belong in the world. We're marching to a different drum. Help us to hear that sound. Help us to respond to that sound. And walk in such a way that we walk authentically with our head lifted high, with our eyes focused on the prize, looking towards our 
treasure in heaven and with the fact that we have a great behold the lamb of god a great lamb who has died for us who's covered our sin who has met us in the temple of god and has seen to it that we can stand in his righteousness and not have to go through his judgment he's taken it for us lord help us to go forth in a victory and a sense of peace with you and living like never before in this world and we ask it in jesus name everybody said Amen. Grace and peace be on you as you go. Have a great day. Remember Bible study, 4 o'clock. We'll see you then.